0: It is Paul's instructions to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that really serves as the basis for our monthly hymn studies. Because it is there in chapter 14 and in verse 15 that Paul instructs Christians to sing with the Spirit and to sing with the understanding also. Singing with the understanding. Just like it doesn't do any good for me to get up and preach a sermon to you in... Russian or Mandarin or some other foreign language, neither does it do us any good to sing songs that we don't actually understand. And so it is for that reason we dedicate just a few minutes each month to better understanding some of the songs that we sing in worship. That is particularly important to do whenever we are singing songs that are very, very poetic in nature. We have lots of songs in our hymnal that are very straightforward and to the point. Lots of songs that are very literal. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That doesn't require a whole lot of explanation on my part, doesn't it? The meaning of that song, it's right there. However, when we talk about works of poetry, when we talk about songs that employ lots of word pictures and metaphor and imagery... Those kinds of songs require us to maybe take a step back, slow down just a little bit, maybe to ponder their meaning, maybe even go and grab a dictionary and look up the definition of some words. In fact, that is exactly what I'm suggesting we need to do with this song tonight. Number 162, if you'd be grabbing a songbook and be opening up to that song, I'd like for you to look at the words of this song. It is the song, Night with Eben Pinion. This is a song that within, I don't know, like the first line, we're already kind of scratching our heads what in the world is going on here? Night with ebon pinion. Brooded o'er the veil. What in the world's that talking about? Have you ever had a night with an eben pinion? When's the last time you brooded o'er the veil? Boy, that can be some really puzzling kind of language, can't it? Of course, when we continue reading in that first verse, by the time we get to like the last couple of lines, we start to have some sense of what exactly is going on. When Christ, the man of sorrows, in tears and sweat as blood, prostrate in the garden, raised his voice to God. It's about there that we kind of have the aha moment. Okay, yes, I get it. This song is talking about the agony that Jesus experienced in the garden of Gethsemane just hours before He was to be crucified. Now, it's usually right about there that we decide, okay, I've got the general gist of the song, let's just move on. But I'd like to suggest that we need to kind of pump the brakes just a little bit, and let's actually take a moment and look at and even appreciate those word pictures that the author of this song, a man by the name of Love Humphreys Jameson, Boy, hymn writers just have the most amazing names, don't they? Love Humphreys Jameson, the word pictures that he utilized in writing this hymn some 150 years ago. Let's start there at the beginning with that word that first maybe gives us trouble. Ebon. What's that about? Well, the word ebon is just the shortened form of the word ebony, which just means black or dark. And then that next word, pinion. Did anybody use the word pinion in the last seven days? Probably not unless you were just going around telling everybody your pinions about stuff. Of course, though, it's not that kind of pinion. The pinion being talked about here is the word feather. Or maybe collectively the feathers on the wing of a bird. And so we combine those ideas together. Ebon, pinion, what do we got? We got the idea of a dark wing. And then connect that to the next expression, brooded or the veil. Brood here means to to hover or to loom over someone or something or some place. And the place is given to us, the veil, that is the valley, brooding over the valley. And when we piece all of those things together with what we already know there at the last part of the first verse, and what we see here is that this song is trying to describe, using these vivid pictures, that the night in which Jesus went to the garden to pray, it was like it was a dark wing dropping down, very ominously maybe, just hovering over Him and hovering over the Kidron Valley where He was. This is a picture of darkness. It is a picture in many ways, I believe, of loneliness. It is the idea here, this wing hovering over the Savior in this most lonely of settings with only then the sound of the night wind hailing in the background. And it is in that dark moment that love Humphreys Jameson, he then refers to Jesus as the man of sorrows. That expression is lifted right out of Isaiah 53 in verse 3, a messianic prophecy of our Lord. And certainly at this moment, Jesus was the man of sorrows, praying intensely to his Father, knowing and recognizing and maybe even dreading in some ways that the hour of his greatest suffering was soon to come. Jameson then borrows heavily from Luke's account of these events in the garden to speak of Jesus' condition as he prayed there that night. In Luke 24 and in verse 44, the Bible says that being in agony... He prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. The David McKee, last week when he preached for us on Sunday night, he reiterated the point. I don't believe that his sweat actually became blood, but it's as if his sweat was as heavy and as thick as blood. And that speaks to the anxiety that our Savior was experiencing in those moments, producing those giant drops of sweat. And what that reminds us of is that Jesus, while he was fully God, he was also fully man. Who here among us would not have felt the exact same way if we knew what was shortly to come to pass? I call your attention to one other word there in that first verse of the song. It's that word prostrate. Prostrate in the garden. The word prostrate can mean a couple of different things. It can mean to lay oneself down upon the ground, kind of like this picture is depicting Jesus. Face down in a demonstration of absolute humility and submission. But the word can also mean to just be physically weakened. To be just overcome by exhaustion. I would submit to you that based on what Luke records there in Luke 24... I think either or both of those meanings could be applied to that idea of prostrate. And then verse 2. The writer begins to tell us about what it is that was causing this great anxiety, this moment of sadness and sorrow for the Savior in that night. As he begins to allude to various passages, namely I think immediately of Romans 4 verse 25, that Jesus was delivered up. That is, He was smitten for our offenses. Jesus was smitten not because of anything that He had done. No, it was for our transgressions that He suffered. And one of the great things that this song reminds us of is that Jesus' suffering, it didn't begin at the cross. His suffering began well before the events of the cross. We find there in the song, and He had to weep alone. We read that and we might think, well, he wasn't alone. There were people with him there in the garden. And that is right, but I would submit to you that Jesus was alone. In Mark chapter 14, in Mark's account, Mark says that he took with him Peter, James, and John. He said to them, remain here and watch. Be alert, be on the lookout, be paying attention to what's going on. When he came back, he found them sleeping. Yeah, Jesus did take with him his three closest friends, Those friends provided no comfort. They provided no help at the moment when He needed it the very most. Just stop and think for a second about how lonely Jesus must have felt that night. In that dark and desolate place, at a time when He really could have used some human companionship. He really could have used some human encouragement. There was none to be found. And so, in moments like that, we do well to emulate Jesus' example. Who does he turn to? He turns totally to the Father. On three separate occasions while in the garden, he humbly bows in prayer, as the psalm says. And once again, I really appreciate how the songwriter utilizes a different description to describe who Jesus is. He describes Him as the meek and lowly. That's just taking Jesus' very own words of how He described Himself. In Matthew 11, verse 29, when He said, For I am meek and lowly in heart. Let me ask you, up to that point in Jesus' life, was there a moment where Jesus was more meek and more lowly than right there as He prayed in the garden? And then verse 3 really talks all about the prayer itself. What is it that Jesus prayed? Well, what He prayed as He prayed earnestly to God really is a summary of what Mark 14 verse 36 says, Abba, Father... All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. The term Abba, as Jesus says it and as it's used here in verse 3, the term Abba is an Aramaic term. And it means father, but not just father in a general sense. It means father in the most personal and intimate sense. It carries with it when your child comes to you and they say, Mama or Daddy, they're saying it in the most profoundly trusting kind of way. And in this moment, I would submit to you that Jesus is exemplifying the greatest trust that anyone could have ever exemplified. He is saying, My God, I know that you are able to do anything. But if it is not possible for it to be accomplished in some other way, then your will be done. You know, from a human standpoint, we need to put ourselves in Jesus' shoes here. Just like any of us, I do not believe that Jesus wanted to experience the pain and the suffering of the cross. It was not His desire. He wasn't some glutton for punishment, but He's just chomping at the bit to go and experience all of that. But what Jesus knew, was that part of God's plan for man's salvation was that He go to the cross. And so He willingly submitted Himself to the will of His heavenly Father. Taken all together then, what this song does is it simply focuses us on a particular facet of Jesus' suffering on the night He agonized in prayer at the prospect of what was to come. His betrayal, His arrest, His trials his mockery, his crucifixion, and everything else that he endured. You know, maybe the most amazing thing about those events in the garden is what the Hebrew writer records here in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7, that in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. He was heard because of his reverence. Focus on those three words. He was heard. God heard His Son. And for as much as Jesus grieved that night in the garden, I would submit to you that God grieved as well. It would be the darkest day that this world has ever known. And not merely as we think about the physical darkness, that idea of the wing, the ebon pinion, but even more so because of the spiritual darkness. Knowing that the spotless Lamb of God is going to die for the sins of the entire world. This song, with its very somber and ominous tone, you'll notice this song, the words of this song, they fit the music, and the music fits the words. Sometimes we have songs that the music and the words ah, just aren't really jiving. You hear the we see the words, and you're like, man, this is a really serious song, and then we're singing it upbeat like it's singing Be Happy almost, but that's not what this song does. It's the perfect marriage of that dark, Dark night when Jesus was in the garden. And as we sing it, I do believe it really helps us to transport ourselves back to those events and in some small way, maybe we can capture a glimpse of what our Lord endured that night. We do sing it most often in connection with the Lord's Supper. It helps to prepare our minds for what we're about to do when we partake of those emblems. But I tell you this, this song doesn't have to be restricted just to the Lord's Supper. Because there's never a bad time for us to reflect upon the suffering of our Savior and to then grow in our love and appreciation for what He went through.